What is good, everybody? Welcome back to the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always, and it's time to talk about some games that happened over the course of two days, right, since last Thursday, which is what I'm going to start with. Uh, Obviously, Thursday night's games. We have Damian Lillard that attends the Nets Sixers games where he could potentially be on either of those teams via trade, right, as the rumors continue to pile up. You know, it, it always happens. You know, when there's rumors about a player potentially, nobody really knows what's going to happen with him. You know, he's talked about he does not want to be a part of a rebuild. Uh, Trailblazers, you know, kind of basically saying they want to win. You know, and when it comes to things like that, and then you see a player attending a game, it's like you can take it two ways, right? Maybe he just wants to enjoy a game, but, you know, of all the series that you can go attend... You know, why go to the Sixers-Nets one? No offense. Um, It's not the most exciting one, although it is a fun one if you enjoy, you know, like a a grind-out game, you know, really, really hard-nosed, tough defensive game. But, you know, if you want to watch a great series, if I was Dame, I'd be going to, you know, Kings-Warriors or, you know, even Cavs-Knicks, you know, um, things like that. But obviously, you know, there's a million ways to look at it. But I will say, if you did ask me, you know, anytime this much smoke is in the air, in the history of the NBA, it's proven time and time again that where there's smoke, there's fire, okay? I think Dame's going to be traded next season. It just doesn't make sense for him to stick around, right? Like, how much better is Portland really going to be next year? Who... Like, who can they trade for, right, to make the situation better? The easiest path to me is just trade Dame, you know, get draft capital, get some young talent, whatever it is you want for your rebuild, but trade your win now, guys. Just go full rebuild mode. It just doesn't make any sense. And I'm sorry about going on a a little tangent here. It is part of the first game I'm going to be talking about, uh, which was obviously Net Sixers, but, you know, obviously... Dame stood out because he attended the game. So, you know, Nets came out with the same energy they've had all series long, you know, doing a great job of doubling and even triple teaming Embiid right on the catch, you know, just packing up the painted area, packing up the perimeter, using, you know, as much length as they possibly can uh, to clog up some passing lanes, you know, but you can't do that all game long, right? Like you can't just double Embiid or triple Embiid all game long every possession for the Sixers because NBA teams are too smart you know eventually they're just gonna adjust and make you pay right which is exactly what happens down the stretch but you know every game that I've watched in this series I remember what I told you guys I thought this series would go at least six um, or at the most six rather um, and at least five right many people had it being a sweep the reason I said that I, I saw it differently was because, you know, I thought this team's energy, this team's just annoying uh, mentality, right? Just p- ball pressure, high energy, just hard effort. Um, I thought that it would cause a lot of problems. And honestly, if they do sweep this the, the Nets, this has been a tough sweep for the Sixers regardless, right? Um, and, and part of my reason for also giving the Nets one or two games was because I just expected the Sixers to kind of lay an egg in one of those, right? Just kind of not show up, and then the Nets kind of take advantage of that, and then maybe you get a pop-off Spencer Dinwiddie game, right? Which which you can actually expect sometimes, but this series, Dinwiddie's been awful. He's been terrible in this series, you know? Just doing some hero plays, getting blocked, uh, just not making shots, you know? Some air balls here and there, He just hasn't been good, 
you know, and, and Kuzma, Kyle Kuzma, who's been beefing with him, is probably just laughing on his couch, right, or, or just watching highlights of these games, um, you know, because obviously he has that beef with Spencer Dinwiddie, um, you know, and I'm just waiting for Dinwiddie to pop off, but it hasn't happened, you know, if it's gonna happen, it has to happen now, Harden got ejected in this game, it was a crucial point of the game, right, it was a key ejection, for the Nets to capitalize, you know, you take away Harden and you're taking away a lot of offense, but I feel like when, when Harden got ejected, it pushed Tyrese Maxey to go off even more because Tyrese Maxey takes such a back seat to James Harden and Embiid, rightfully so, but, you know, a lot of people will argue, man, Tyrese Maxey's probably better than Harden right now. You know, some people might, might disagree with that. I don't know how people feel about it, but, you know, he popped off, you know, and he felt way more comfortable once James Harden went out of the game, you know, just kind of obviously takes more responsibility and he showed up. But side note about that Harden ejection, it was wild. It wasn't even that serious. It's usually just incidental contact. You know, when players are are, are, are having a tough defender in their airspace, right? Naturally, players just use their offhand to kind of create a little separation during those drives. And Harden did exactly that. And I guess the refs didn't like where Harden's hand went, you know, but it shouldn't have been a flagrant two. I'm so surprised that it was a flagrant two. I mean, it was all over social media. It was all over uh, major sports channels, right? Those, those, uh, you know, like first take and, and undisputed and all those other Fox uh, sports channels, whatever they are. Um, you know, everyone basically agreed, you know, that flagrant two was out of control, you know, and then we get a, we, we just got, you know, a couple of ejections in this games, lots of techs in this game, Claxton taunts Embiid after a, a pretty solid dunk, and then Claxton got ejected, which was so stupid, you're already a small team with the Nets, and, and you're the one guy that's been able to kind of drag Embiid into an ugly game in the mud, but then you get yourself ejected because you got your second technical, it was a very chippy game, you know, but Nets down the stretch, they just go stagnant offensively which you know they're already limited offensively and when you're limited and you're small and you're you know basically how you win games is high energy as best as you can defensively you know collective effort the movement obviously ball movement um, and play fast right that's how you generate offense when you're at such a disadvantage in both height and scoring you know but they go stagnant ball's not really moving the ball's getting turned over. It, it just looked really ugly down the stretch for the Nets. And they've been unable to close games, which is something that you will expect from a team that just struggles offensively, you know? And then they go down 0-3, right? But here's the bigger part about this game. Embiid sprained his knee. So we just got news that he's out for game four, which is a great opportunity for the Nets to get a win and extend the series, you know, make things even more annoying for Philly you know, in every worst case scenario throughout this series, the Sixers just drop it off to Embiid and they're either going to double Embiid and then Embiid just kicks it out and shooters are open uh, because the Nets have to collapse on Embiid. So, you know, that advantage isn't going to be there in game four for Philly. So game four is going to be interesting in that sense. You know, the Sixers don't have the biggest bailout option for your offense this time around, right? So let's see what that looks like. This is going to be... Obviously, it's been a grindy series, but that's going to be interesting. I will say this, though. You know, the Sixers have won a lot of games without Embiid simply because of the fact that they can just get up and down quicker, you know? So so while, yes, they do take a hit offensively and size-wise, the pace 
really picks up when Embiid's not out there. You know, you basically unleash Tyrese Maxey's full potential in the sense of just giving him the keys and he can now get up and down the floor along with a more mobile group, right, on both sides of the floor. Now, defensively, that's going to be a problem. You know, that's really going to help the Nets because they can score much easier. You know, they're going to get to the basket way easier than when Embiid was out there, you know, just erasing every opportunity at the rim. So that's going to be interesting to watch. You know, Boston's going to be waiting for the Sixers and it's going to hopefully be an epic series between the two. Now, I want to say this before I go on to the next game. According to Woj, the Rockets are, quote unquote, very much in play for James Harden. Why? (laughs) Why? The team is super selfish as it is, the Rockets are. Right with nonstop isolation, stagnant basketball, you know, and then you're going to go and grab James Harden, who's a ball dominant player. It just doesn't make any sense. And I've talked about this before because these reports came out during the regular season and I mentioned it for a little bit. You know, Harden going to Houston, it just tells me he doesn't care about chasing championships anymore, right? It's just going to be about, I guess, hooping, right? Uh, that, that, that we constantly hear about when players just go to teams that aren't really going to win. You know, where they just want to play basketball, whatever that means. And then essentially, you know, lifestyle, right? He loves Houston. So I don't know, you know, and for me, it's just not good. You put a guy with bad habits, in my opinion, James Harden, with such a young team around him that already is building bad habits. Thank God that they fired Steven Silas and, you know, who knows what coach they're going to grab next. You know, you're hearing about Ime Udoka, you hear about Nick Nurse. Um, I forgot about a couple other names, but, you know, those are some guys that can really help you turn around the situation in Houston. You know, they need structure. They need discipline. They need leadership there, you know, at the coaching role. And then you kind of trickle that down to the player role. And, you know, James Harden is just going to throw a monkey wrench in there. You know, I just don't like him there. I just don't understand why the Rockets in the right mind would want James Harden around those young players. I'm going to move on. Kings Warriors, you know, expected win by me and many other people for the Warriors, even without Draymond. You know, the energy of that crowd at Chase Center is insane. I don't think anyone hypes up a crowd more than Steph Curry after he makes a shot. It's like every shot he makes at home is worth double, maybe even triple. You know, Warriors, they came out hyper focused. The ball movement was the best it's ever looked in the series. The defense was also great, and I knew when the Warriors would win this game without Draymond that people would overreact. You know, see, they're better without Draymond, and Draymond should sit out the rest of the series. No. You know, all the advanced stats, all the standard traditional stats, they all show you that the Warriors are better with Draymond. The eye test says they're better with Draymond. The assists alone, which is a basic traditional stat, they go up. When Draymond's on the floor, the intensity, the energy, Draymond brings everything to win a game, except being calm, cool, and collected. But make no mistake, don't be a prisoner of the moment, guys. The Warriors need Draymond. It's it's that simple. Like, let's not get cute. Stop being a prisoner of the moment. They need Draymond, okay? The Kings couldn't get threes to fall. They shot 11 for 47, which is 23% from three. That's terrible. They also turn the ball over a ton in this game. So that's a deadly combination. You're turning the ball over at an alarming rate and you're also not making threes. You're not going to win those games. So the Warriors weren't great from three either, right? But they took better care of the ball. 
better than usual, right? Um, they were getting looks at the rim more than ever in this series and more extra passes were made they were also more patient offensively the kings have been speeding the warriors up in this series but this game was a good showing for the warriors kevon looney big time 20 rebounds nine assists jesus right just he was great in this game this was steph's best game in the series by far which was how i expected him to play being down 0-2 and then you get andrew wiggins he showed up as well. Clay had a really bad game. Luckily for him, the Warriors didn't need him in this one because of the overall contribution from the rest of the guys. But he can't have many games like these if they want to get out of this series alive, in my opinion. You need Clay. You need Clay to show up. And I think the crowd energy is going to be insane. Once Draymond steps on the court for game four, the Warriors are going to tie this series up two to two. They're going to go back to Sacramento tied up in this series. I mean, I don't see how you get Draymond to step back on that floor and Chase Center is going to explode. Draymond Green, like a WWE kind of like hype man wrestler energy. As soon as he steps on that court, Chase Center is going to go crazy, you know? So, so I expect, I fully expect the Warriors to tie up this series. I want to move on to Clippers versus the Suns. This was an unexpected occurrence here. But it wasn't enough for the Clippers in a game where they didn't even have Kawhi Leonard. Okay, this game started at 10.30, by the way, while the Kings Warriors was at 10. So that was super annoying. But the Clippers got a 42-point game from Norm Powell. They got a 38-12 and game from Russ, where he even shot elite 42.9% from three. Russ has found ways to be great in this series, even on bad shooting nights. Um, I think the last bad shooting night was like 3 for 19 or something crazy like that. But even even defensively, the energy, just making winning plays. You even get a 20-point game from Bones Highland, who he's been awful in this series uh, up until that game. But even with all of that, it wasn't enough. You know, Devin Booker just completely takes over. They get The Suns get 45 points from Booker. They get 28 from Durant. The third best player for the Suns all series long has not been Chris Paul. It hasn't been DeAndre Ayton, in my opinion. It's been Torrey Craig, okay? He's been the third best player in this series, knocking down threes, pick and roll, actions with any player. He's getting to the rim. He's picking and popping, making mid-range shots. He's been super reliable for the Suns. And you know, Chris Paul, he has looked so bad in this series. It makes you think, thank God that Kevin Durant was traded to the Suns. Uh, this is what Chris Paul's averaging the last three games. 37% from the field. Yuck. 18% from three. Yikes. This would have been a Chris Paul slander series from everyone. You know, everyone would be calling for Chris Paul's career. <laughs> you know, because there's so many Chris Paul haters. And I'm here to tell you, the guy's old, you know? So to expect him to be prime time peak CP3... It's just not realistic. And you just haven't been watching Suns basketball all season long. He has great moments, but most cases, he just doesn't look that good. You know, he's definitely much slower than ever before. He's desperately using angles the way smarter, older vets do to get by tough defenders. The shooting hasn't been good, though, you know, which is something that I definitely didn't expect to come with his aging. Um, I thought he would improve shooting or, or at least remain the same because he's always been a pretty damn good shooter um you know but the Suns got out of this game alive 
you know, and, and when you think about Chris Paul, you're looking at the assist numbers, they're always going to be there because he's just a smart player. But obviously, when you have Torrey Craig balling out, you have KD and Devin Booker on the wings, it just makes CP's job way easier. They get out of this game 129 to 124, right? But the truly awful news here is that Kawhi is also not going to play game four. So this is Phoenix's chance to take that second road game. You know, hopefully use that crowd energy uh, to help them close it out at home. You know, even if Kawhi ends up playing game five, which, you know, to be honest, he could very well just show up game five at Phoenix and take that game, right? I mean, Kawhi is just that dude, man. Um, I want to move on to Friday night's games. They're both interesting and surprising. Minus the Nuggets, right? Doing what they're supposed to do. So if you've noticed, I haven't talked much Nuggets this playoffs. And that's because of the same reason I haven't talked much Celtics this playoffs either. You know, both teams just much better than the teams they're facing. But I'm going to start with the Hawks-Celtics one specifically because the Hawks won the game. Okay, if the Timberwolves had won the game, obviously I would make that a point of conversation. So the Hawks get a win in their first of two home games. Many people thought this was going to be a sweep. And I told you guys... I definitely did not think that was going to be the case. I gave you guys two key factors when I broke down this series for the Hawks to win games against Boston. One factor is the rebounding. The Hawks are taller. The Hawks are just lankier. They can definitely out-rebound the Celtics. And keeping up with three-point shooting was the second factor. The Hawks have not been good from three. So if they can out-rebound the Celtics, which is way, way more likely than the shooting factor... You couple that with a decent three-point shooting night, and you can win games if you're the if you're the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks did exactly that, and they won the game. You know, it's crazy because the Celtics shot an elite 43.8% from three, and they got plenty of help from everyone. I mean, you go through that box score, and it was like the whole Celtics roster was scoring. You know, but the Celtics, 29 rebounds. The Hawks, 48 rebounds. The Hawks shot 44% from three, which is hyper elite for a team and obviously basically matching the same percentage as Boston so they kept up with Boston in that sense too literally the two factors I labeled out came true and the Hawks won now that's what it's going to take for the Hawks to win more games you know I predicted a six game series because what I predicted hasn't happened yet um, well, partially, yes, the, the out-rebounding and the three-point shooting happened, but we still haven't seen a really cold Celtics three-point shooting night, you know, that, that that also will cost the Celtics a game, in my opinion. That's just what I'm predicting, you know. For the Celtics to lose a second game in this type of series, they would have to go cold from three, which is something that they've had happen in the regular season in those really ugly losses, and the Hawks continuing to out-rebound them in that scenario and the Hawks just shooting decent enough from three. You know, those three things happen, the Celtics can definitely drop a second game. In my opinion, this is the last chance the Hawks have to keep this series interesting. Game four is crucial for the Hawks because if they lose this next, this home game that's coming up, Boston's going to close it out at home in game five. You can lock that in, right? So if Boston takes this road game, they're just going to close the series at home. Last game of Friday night was Cavs-Knicks. This was a final score from like the mid-2000s. The score was 99 to 79. It was a rock fight, (laughs) okay, between two teams that could not make threes to save their lives. This was a weird, exciting, but ugly game, okay? The Cavs shot 7 for 33 from three. The Knicks shot 10 for 33 
from three. Both teams, just a group of construction workers putting up brick after brick after brick. But where this game went wrong for Cleveland was the turnover palooza. These dudes could not stop throwing the ball away over and over again. 20 turnovers. Just the absolute worst thing you can do on the road is not only shoot poorly, but turn the ball over. It causes transition points, which the Knicks are great at getting after getting their defensive stops, right? Like, And when they get those stops and they turn defense into offense, it ignites the MSG crowd. I could barely hear the broadcast team. Jeff Van Gundy, Mike Breen, and Mark Jackson, who were calling the game, I'm not exaggerating. I could not hear them on the TV. The playoffs are so much more fun when the Knicks are in it. The energy at MSG is just different. Every point, no matter how ugly, every stop, every substitution, the crowd is screaming. RJ Barrett, who's been awful, he's been dog water in this series. He had the best game of of this series for himself. This game was close because neither team could make their threes. Now, some positives for the Cavs, if they had just 10 turnovers instead of 20, if they just cut their massive turnover count, right? If they just cut half of those, this game looks way different. Positives for the Knicks, they shot terribly and they still won the game. They also have a chance to go up 3-1 with the second home game that they have coming up. There's a ton of new pressure for the younger Cavs players like Mobley and Darius Garland. Going into this game four, I'm going to say this though, with how ugly both teams have played in this series, if the Cavs do go 3-1, they can hang their hat on one thing. It's not your average 3-1 deficit. You know, the Knicks can definitely lose the 3-1 lead with how badly they've been offensively, right? Outside of Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart, who have been consistently good. Nobody wants to be down 3-1 in any series though. So this is a huge game for for both teams. Knicks obviously looking to take a 3-1 lead, which is massive. And the Cavs looking to just tie it up and take it back home. Games start today at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Sixers without Embiid looking to close out the series. Uh, sweep at Brooklyn. Brooklyn looking to keep this series alive. I think the Nets will take this win after such a chippy game three. I think the crowd energy is obviously going to still be there. No Embiid is going to boost the confidence of the Nets when they get to the rim. Uh, We have 3.30 Eastern time, Suns Clippers without Kawhi, where I expect the Suns to win this game. I just don't see how you get another great performance repeated by some of the guys that had them for the Clippers last game. You know, it's a lot to ask for. I think that KD, you know, hyper-focused. You get Devin Booker hyper-focused, obviously. CP hasn't been great. Maybe he just shows up this game offensively. I think I think the Suns just take this game. That's just my prediction. 7.30 Eastern time. Bucks versus Heat right here in Miami. Giannis still listed as questionable. If Giannis doesn't play, I'm going to say even without Tyler Hero for the Heat, I think the Heat find a way to win with the home crowd energy. I just see the Bucks splitting games on the road. You know, go back home 2-2 because I just have a hard time trusting the Bucks without Giannis. I really do. And then 10 p.m. Eastern time tonight, Lakers-Grizzlies at LA. This is going to be LeBron's explosion game that everyone's expecting after Dylan Brooks, you know, talks his talk. And Lakers should win it in a blowout, okay, where they decide to take things seriously. Now, I will say this, though. According to the Grizzlies coach, Taylor Jenkins, 
John Morant was a full participant in practice. I don't know what that means, but I guess obviously that's a good sign for the Grizzlies. So they list Morant as questionable. So there you have it. Now, before I end this episode, I just want to talk about I just want to talk about one last thing here. So the Raptors fired Nick Nurse this morning. Uh, this one is for all the Raptors fans that are kind of wondering what's going on. Um, you know, it was expected to happen throughout the season. There was a lot of talk about this being potentially Nick Nurse's last season. Lots of Raptors fans were not happy with the coaching decisions all year long. Some people didn't like seeing Pascal at the five for a lot of time during the regular season. I also did not like watching him play at the five for that long. Uh, according to multiple reports, the Raptors and Nick Nurse were meeting regularly and they were talking about the lack of bench development and supposedly his play style that was intended to win games was overly taxing on the starters because the, the starters minutes were crazy and it created tension within other Raptors players, you know, not liking their roles, not liking limited playing time. No doubt though, whoever does sign Nick Nurse, they're going to get a proven coach. He likes to think outside the box and he's one of the best X's and O's coaches out there, in my opinion. So, you know, I think that it's going to be a big pickup for any team that grabs Nick Nurse. I think he needs a fresh start. He's been there forever. I think he did a great job in Toronto. Um, every coach gets fired eventually, you know, except for a very, very select few that get to retire, you know, riding off into the sunset with the same team. You know, it's it's very rare to see things like that. But, um, you know, that's going to do it for this episode. This is the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always, and I'll catch you guys on the next one.